All right, Greg Scheinman here, Midlife Mail Podcast time. Thank you so much for joining me. Mm, little scratchy throat, allergy season here in Houston, Texas. A lot of pollen, but maybe it makes me uh, sound a little gruff here. Maybe a little more, a little more middle age, a little more power to the raspiness in the voice. Guys, I am super, super excited. I've got Mark Englund, Procabulary, on the Midlife Mail Podcast today. Big Shout out gratitude, Aaron Hind, Life Aid Beverage Company for connecting Mark and I. I really appreciate it. Aaron came on the show a while back. Listen to his episode. He is a total superstar. Uh, He's become a good friend. I am a huge supporter of his, and I appreciate when guys reach out, they connect, they network, they make things happen uh, for, for other people. So Aaron, thank you so much for that. Hey, and Mark. Mark reached back out after the connection was made and he says, hey, if a conversation about how our language influences our identities, decisions, and outcomes is a good fit for your audience, I'd be happy to come on your show. That's our lane. Well, guess what? That's a conversation I want to have. How language influences our identities, decisions, and outcomes. This is particularly timely because I have been stressing over verbiage and language right now as I am reworking my bio, um, working on the Midlife Mail guide book. Um, And it's incredibly taxing to labor over each and every word and phrasing and paragraphs and, and how language plays such a big part um, in our perceptions of how we perceive ourselves and how others perceive us. Um, Procabulary. Take control of your life one word at a time. Procabulary. Here's what it does. It builds fun, simple, and easy to use tools that help you discover direction, purpose, and turbocharge every goal from the smallest daily task to life's biggest dreams. We are going to get into all of this with Mark England on the Midlife Mail podcast right now. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Greg. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, this is awesome. I mean, for, first and foremost, um, whenever Aaron Hind sends me an email or reaches out to connect me to anybody, it's immediate. Like, absolutely, I want to talk to that person. I absolutely want to meet them because um, I just have such a tremendous amount of respect for what Aaron is doing and what he's built with with his company. I've had him on it before. Um, and his story is just phenomenal. So when he connected us, I was like, yeah, that's a conversation I want to have. So <laughs> appreciate that very much. Very welcome. It's a two-way street. Anyone that he introduces me to, it's a yes, please. <laughs> how do you guys know each other? Explain to me how that dynamic or how, how relationships network, connecting the dots, like personally and professionally works for you. People always ask me that. You know, how do you get guests or how do you know these people or, or do you guys even really know each other beforehand? And it's a tough thing to sometimes explain how people get connected and why. Those are good. Those are usually fun stories too. Um, I'll give a little bit of extra background story uh, 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 for this as well. Um, Cause it, uh, yeah, it's time to, time to share some stories. So once upon a time, I was with my business partner, 
uh, in Thailand on, a, on an island called Koh Samui, which is where we met many years ago. And it was 2016 in October. And I had gone through uh, an onboarding process at a CrossFit gym that summer. It's the first time I'd been in those environments, CrossFit environments, and I really liked the 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 the, the scene. Everybody was it was a community uh, uh, tribal vibe, and you know people were working hard. They had work ethics, and the they were they would they would try stuff. And I, I kept talking to them. I'm like, man, you know, we should we should get into some CrossFit conversations, and I'll tell you why here in a second. And um, and so I reached out to five of my friends in 2016, that October, and said, who's got the best podcast in CrossFit? Three box owners, two competitors. And they all came back and said, Barbell Shrugged. And then one of them circled back and said, oh, by the way, Mike Bledsoe is aware of your work. Would you like an introduction? Yes, I would. He makes the introduction. A couple emails later, we're scheduled to go on the show in January 2017 fly to Los Angeles and do both of their shows in the same day. And Mike Bledsoe and I, um, uh, almost on impact, became good friends. And we started hanging out. Uh, I was living in Venice at the time. There we go. And uh, uh, he was down in Encinitas. And I'd, we, we would see each other in one, one place or another about once a month. And... He's going to the FitAid annual employee retreat in, 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 in late 2018. He goes to Aaron. He goes, get this guy out here to do some language spell work, magic stuff with your team. And Aaron and I get on a call. And uh, I do. We go out there. This is an interesting story in and of itself. So I rock up. And uh, get day one, get a tour of the, the Fit Aid facility. Very cool. And then the next day, um, we go out to Lake Don Pedro in California. It's out in the mountains, desert. It doesn't look like California, but it's in California. And we come down the hill, and we're looking at the marina, and they've got six of the biggest houseboats I've ever seen all lined up. Uh, and they're already going for it. <laughs> They've got coolers and people party. It's we haven't even left yet, and then we do, and we drive these six big. They're like twenty person houseboats, two hours across the lake. It was it was it, it was a pirate armada, and then they beach these things on the other side, tie them all together, and then they they just have a a wild time, great time for for an entire weekend. And I I I did. I I I, I talked to him about the power of words one morning. Um and and Aaron has uh had me come on and talk to some of his employees, um uh, some of their 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 group trainings and you know we've stayed in contact since and i've visited him at his house he's he's just a cool guy very interesting person very 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 unique very um effective very successful and just just a cool person to know you know 100 percent. where did this start for you you know this working with language and words and the power and perception of words, phrasing, and how 
it evolved, you know, for you personally and professionally into the business of vocabulary and then coursework. I mean, just take me through that aspect of, of the journey. Cool. I thought I was a tough guy in college. Uh, I wrestled in high school and got into jujitsu in 1996. And um, the people I was training with, they were competing. And so I started competing and uh, got into kickboxing and blah, blah. And I wanted to go pro. So I thought, uh, I, uh, yeah, let's move to Thailand for a year, polish up some skills and and then I'll move back and it'll be happy days. And, and it wasn't. So <laughs> I move over. I did. I went to Thailand six months in. I'm, I'm getting my second knee surgery over there. Darkness descended, man. I used that story of what I framed at that time as a, as a legitimate fail. The failure of my life is all as proof. It was evidence that I really wasn't good enough and there really was something wrong with me and I really was doomed to fail. And, um, I didn't laugh for a year. I, 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 I might not even authentically have smiled because the, the, the victim mentality, uh, I've, was just raging so strongly in my head that there was no space for anything else. There was no, there was no, there was no flexibility for, for enjoying myself. I was consumed. And after a year of that, uh, I accurately identified, you know, I could do this. And it was such a rudimentary thought in one sense, as in, I could tell myself I'm better at articulating it now and then what I was saying to myself is, Mark, you could continue to tell yourself this story about yourself and how it's the end of the world for uh, an indefinite period of time. And I looked down that road and I saw just a, a waste of a person. You know, me at 50, I was like, am I going to be bitching about this when I'm 55 years old? I mean, I really will be a loser if I do that. So I said, anything. I'll take anything but that. And I meant it. Um, I ended up living in Thailand for a decade. Hmm. And I was uh, I was an elementary school sports teacher for the first half at a, at a uh, American school in Bangkok. Great gig, by the way. Four months paid vacation. And during that time... Um, you know, my, my vice principal gave me a book on traditional Chinese medicine. They talked about just a different, it was just a completely different approach. And he said, Hey, you know, there's this, there's this spot down on Koh Samui. There's that Island again. Um, and they're running cleansing things, cleansing programs. You go down there and pay to not eat for seven days. It's a great gig, by the way. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, I just came back from uh, doing this thing and you'd probably like it. And and I thought, you know, that's something different. You do something different, you get something different. Uh, so I went and I did. I did the program and it, I did feel a little bit lighter and better. So I kept going back the third time down there. I watched, uh, I went to an emotional detoxification workshop that was being held one evening. And the, the guy, Barry Musgrave, who was in his late 60s, early 70s uh, at the time, turned into my, one of my first mentors in this work. 
And he was talking about very similar things. He was talking about how our language influences us for better and for worse, how, how we tell ourselves stories, stress responses. Um, uh, he didn't use the words, and he was talking about the victim mentality. And then he demoed the thing, as in anybody stuck on a story, and this woman sticks her hand up in the air, and she, she had – it was a legit stinger. Uh, it was a relationship breakup. Her, her and all her friends went down to Beach Week with her boyfriend and all his friends. And he, he hooks up with one of her friends one night and then dumps her in front of everybody the next night. I mean, oh, yeah, that would hurt. And four years later, she's still chewing on that thing. Like, not like uh, uh, to the point where she won't get in a relationship. And he has her go through the story and she's going through the story the first time tears angry takes her through it the second time adjust some of the words now she's sad no tears third time through he he, he pivots he, he makes an, a, a a big a legitimate adjustment in the language which turned her from taking it personal to more or less not and she goes huh well you know, that guy was kind of weird it wasn't even gonna work out anyway that was in under 10 minutes and i saw that and i'm thinking to myself that's not my story but that's my story. Um, that was 17 years ago. Uh, I went and I've studied this particular style that this guy was using at that workshop for three years and then moved back down to that spa. And that's where I did the second half, uh, half of my Thailand as a counselor at that same detox resort. Mm. Are people now intimidated to talk to you? You know, when they think about getting in front of you, and I just don't, we, we, I mentioned this the second we got on the call before I even hit the record button, that you know, when you think about having a conversation with somebody who specializes in language <laughs> and the power and use of words, and he said pivot, tweak, all these things, people intimidated to talk to you? Um, maybe initially, and shortly thereafter, they realize how simple I am, um, or 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 they they understand how they understand that I'm simple once I tell them that I'm simple because I am I'm a simple person, um, and yes, I pay closer attention to what people say than most people, and all that is is a skill. All that is is a skill. Um, and if I can learn it, anybody can learn it. It's a quite valuable skill too, because, you know, we tend to talk a lot. I want, yeah, I want to drill down on that a little bit more. You know, one, there's, there's a cadence to the way that you speak. Um, I've listened to some of the things that you've now done on Instagram live. Um, I'm really fixated on, on breath work, use of breath or stopping to take, to take breaths, uh, in there. And then also the constant distraction, you know, or more about being present. And as you're talking about listening, you know, there too, and, and the skill, we tend to have a conversation now with somebody, you know, you're staring at your phone, or you've got one eye on another screen, or, or anything but the actual conversation and communication that's, that's going on. Is that an even bigger part you know, of it or, or as much? as the actual language that people are using? Are we just not using a lot of the right language sometimes because we're not listening or really paying much attention to the conversation we're actually in? 
That's a good question. Um, yes to all of that. There are more distractions now. People have a less, they have, they have less of an attention span. And I've noticed this. Uh, and also my business partner, shout out to Adam Chin, who one of his superpowers is videography, video work. And he talks about how the, the tempo of, sh- of, of shows has changed over the, eight, the 80s, 90s, you know, you can start 60s, how it's gotten faster because people's attention span has gotten shorter, partly because a decent amount of that, in my opinion, is that there are more distractions. You know, if I've, we're, we're talking to each other on devices and some people are on phones and they're getting messages and, and there's a variety of, you know, back, I, I was my father's remote control when I was five. He'd be in the, the lazy boy. There was four channels. I'd sit next to him. He'd tell me what channel to go turn it on. I'd go over there and turn it. Now we got like 500 fucking channels. Um, and I like paying attention to things. I like focusing in on one thing that I'm doing. Uh, and if that's talking to you, then that's talking to you. Now you mentioned breath and, and listening skills. Um, most people, the, the reason that I reached out to five people in the CrossFit space about podcasts and, and CrossFit was because we show a definitive link between what we think and say our language. So when I reference our language, everybody, I'm talking about our internal dialogue, what we think, and our external dialogue, what we say and what we write. There's a direct correlation between our language and how we breathe. And most people's language, we got a big time glitch in our language. And due to a lack of understanding, education about how our language influences us for better and for worse, most people are, their language is keeping them in, a, in, in some semblance of an upregulated stress state, sympathetic nervous system response. And their breathing is trapped in their chest, known as upper breathing, shallow breathing, labored breathing. And when someone's breath is trapped in their chest, mine included amongst many things, my listening skills go down. It's called amygdala hijack. Breath is trapped in the chest. I get fixated on something. I lose my peripheral vision uh, physically and then also metaphysically, if we want to get woo-woo, as in my imagination, um, I, I, I tend to speak more quickly, which gives less space for the other person. and we have more monologues than dialogues. So it's one of the things that we hammer. It's a rock that we hammer is to get your breath low and slow. And you're going to love what happens. One, you're going to sound different because you're delivering your your words from a different place. Uh, You're going to be a much better listener. You're going to be more creative. You're going to have the the dexterity to find the the right rhythm that's going to lead to a good conversation back and forth conversation with the person that you're dialoguing with um i was just talking about this with some of the coaches the other day one of the people uh he's he's in the family my my family my actual family um one of the worst conver- con- conversationalists i've ever met because his rhythm just sucks 
he'll ask a question. You get halfway through the answer and he'll ask another question. You get three quarters of the way through that answer. He asks another question. So there's no, it's, it's, it's like dancing, you know, there's a rhythm to it. It's like ping pong. You know, you hit me, you, you throw a question out there. I hit it back, hit back to you. And we have this enjoyable interaction and a lot of people's conversation skills, which is arguably the very best skill that you can acquire, develop in life, because it, it'll translate to everything you do forever, as long as you're, you're, you're talking. Um, and guess what? That includes talking to yourself. Um, I didn't have any courses, classes, or conversations about that in school or when I got my degree in education. Mm-hmm. It's it's so important. And as you're speaking about this, I'm thinking about conversations that I have. Or um, look, I'm in, I've been in sales, you know, my whole life, various businesses, and and in almost every regard, you're in sales to a certain degree. That's something out there to sell or to offer, whether it's yourself, whether it's a product. And I've been in sales in, in pretty much every capacity you can be in my entire career in a number of different industries as well. Uh, and you tend to, everything that you're talking about, speed up, you know, or just throw up, just be incredibly verbal, everything you have to offer all over everybody else without allowing any space for for breath in there or for a response or to even find out what the actual person on the other side of the conversation even needs or wants at all because you become so absorbed with what you have to get out there and like this press for time to make sure you get it all out there. Um, and so I'm thinking about that as you're talking. I'm thinking about my boys at 17 and 14. And how to communicate, how they communicate. Are they getting any of this in school? The value of communication, how much of it is now, again, with your thumbs versus eye-to-eye, face-to-face, or even through a screen, virtual learning now. And what are you going to do if you have to go on a job interview or a college interview or any of those things and how valuable these skills are? Uh, one of the reasons I started doing this podcast was to actually stop talking and start listening more, see if I could actually do it. 135 episodes later, if I listen to them back to try to see, am I speaking more than 10% per episode? And if I am, maybe I'm doing it wrong in there because it shouldn't be about me. It should be about you. Otherwise, why have a guest, right? There. <laughs> So I just find what you're saying just so intriguing and so and so fascinating. Um, you also, I want to touch on this. Well, there are a few things here. What if? What if Wednesdays? What if, what if, what if? I love this concept. And I, I would love it if you talk where what if came from. Do we have to just limit it to Wednesdays? Where and how can we use this? Because I just think, you know, curiosity and questioning is so important. And we lose, we tend to lose so much of that. I think as we also get, get older and get ingrained into, into habits, good or bad. Oh, great. Fantastic question. Once again. Uh, and on a side note that, that reminds me of my father, who's uh, 
you know, this, this, this hillbilly from the mountains, uh, Virginia. And he said, uh, he's a good listener. And he said, he says, I already know what I'm going to say. I want to know what you're going to say. Uh, what if Wednesday? So what, what ifing things most people, and this is, this is some of the, the language tech that we use in our coaching and teach our, 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 our students, our coaches, um, it's a great way to open things up. So there's, there is a very big difference, and I've done both, so I know. There's a very big difference between all the right answers coaching and all the right questions coaching. All the right answers coaching, in my opinion, my personal and professional opinion, is a bust. Because I've got to know more about you than you know about you. It creates a very strange dynamic between a, a coach and a client. I'm, I have to be up here because I know more about you. Okay. And you're down here because I know more about you. And you're going to listen to me and I'm going to. So, so answers, they push. The enlifted coaching system is predominantly questions on top of questions with a side order of questions and and then some questions to go. Answers push, questions pull. So what if? What if? What if things work out? And on a on a what if side note, most people cat- catastrophize, that's an actual term, with their what if statements. What if this whole thing blows up in my face? What if they figure out I'm blah, blah, blah? What if uh, she leaves? What if he leaves? What if uh, fill in whatever flavor of disaster and worst case scenario? And so we look at that a lot of what we do. Again, it's very simple. We just look at, and I use myself a lot, uh, how I've previously terrorized myself with my language and simply do the opposite. Okay. So instead of what ifing the shitty scenarios, uh, what if awesome scenarios? You know, what if, what if this surgery, we were doing the what ifs last night for two people. Um, we do Tuesday night live, we do a live class on, on Instagram every Tuesday night, 6 to 7 p.m. We're doing it every Tuesday for the entirety of the year. And we did, it was, it was, it was, it was on injuries. And we, the first person had an injury. They were a knee injury. They were going in for surgery. They are going in for surgery next week. And then the person that was going to be on next, who also had an injury, they were having some technical difficulties. So we brought on a woman who had an illness, same thing. Okay. Injuries, illness. Um, and we, what if things getting better? So for the gentleman who is having the surgery, you know, what if I heal faster than I think I'm going to, you know, what if I really nail the rehab? What if I use this time while I'm recovering to read a lot of books? You know, what if I keep my attitude and what if I stay focused on the things that are important to me? What if this, what if, what if I'm stronger six months from now because I got my knee fixed. And so folks write down and it could take you a little while because most people's reticular activating system, I'll talk about that here in a second. It's part of the conversation for sure, uh, is, is tuned and programmed for problems. So get a pen, this, yeah, fine. It's a pen. It's also a magic wand. Write down 10, what if plus 
great case scenario, whatever, for you. Write them down and read them out loud. And if you really want to supercharge those things, make the statement, what if what if this surgery goes better than I was expecting? Breathe. Again, rhythm, space. What if I read a lot of books while I'm while I'm uh, recovering? What if this goes smoother than expected? And then so on and so you, you get the the language and the statement and the breath, and that mm-hmm. socializes the idea, also known as embodying the concept you're taking to heart. You will feel that, and you will like what you feel. Um. So uh, here's a story. Two thousand and whatever. I'm walking out the the front door to go give a presentation, and I'm doing what I do, which is rehearse. I walk over to where I parked my car the night before, and it's gone. As in, somebody jacked it, stolen. So I get on. I, Take my phone and just call the police. Hey, my car got stolen. Come help. Hold on, buddy. We're on the way. Then I call my dad and I'm like, Dad, I need the farm truck. The car got stolen. So I go out to the farm. It's about an hour and a half away and get one of Tom England's prized possessions, which is a 1985 Ford F-150 bought off the lot in still in mint condition. Two tones of brown. We call it brown and browner. And I started, it's a true story, I started driving Brown and Browner around Richmond, Virginia, and in under a day, I started seeing more and more and more 1985-ish Ford F-150s. Most people have had that experience. They get in a car, and they start seeing that car out and about. Like, where did all these cars come from? They've, they were always there. It's just now that your reticular activating system, or RAS for short, it's a piece of hardware in your brain, has deemed this thing important. So it's got numerous functions. Two of them are, is, is a search and edit. It goes on search and edit missions. So once something gets uh, deemed important, it's also uh, impartial. It, it works for better and for worse. Um, I got two stories about that, client stories, quick ones. Once something, it gets programmed to find something, then it goes on a search mission. And while it's searching for that thing, it's editing out all the other stuff. So I didn't see any blue vans. I don't remember seeing any red Volkswagen Beetles, nothing, because they weren't 1985-ish Ford F-150s. This is the exact same reason why people pull out in front of motorcyclists and they they honestly say, I did not see them. They literally, it's not what they're looking for, so they look right through it. Um, this is such a... This is this is such a great part of the conversation about mindset and personal development and personal empowerment as in the reticular activating system. It puts a lot of things in place and it's also very well studied for your audience that likes science or uh, uh, research. They can research this. It's called Look Up the Invisible Gorilla. So in the late 90s, two social psychologists, they made a one-minute video where they filmed Six to seven, they took three students, dressed them in black, three students dressed them in white. They gave the black team two basketballs and the white team two basketballs. And then they dressed a seventh student up in a gorilla costume. 
and the black team passed the basketballs back and forth. The, the white team did the same thing. And 30 seconds in, they had this student in the gorilla costume walk into the middle of the frame, turn and face the camera, beat his chest, and turn and walk out. That was the one-minute video. And then they showed this video to tens of thousands of students and gave them a directive. Count how many times the white team passes the ball back and forth between. And then they showed them the video. And when they were done, they said, how many times they passed the basketballs? Correct number is 15. They said, oh, by the way, did you see the gorilla? 50% of the population failed to see something so seemingly obvious as a gorilla because they weren't looking for it. They, they edited it out. You can see the, the original video on YouTube, Invisible Gorilla Video. Now, here's the drum roll question. Does this thing, the reticular activating system, does it only work for 1985-ish Ford F-150s and students, college students in gorilla costumes, or is our language influencing that too? Here's two stories about that. And like I said, it goes for better and for worse. This woman came in. She was extremely forthcoming. She sat down right out of her mouth. I'm having problems in my marriage. My husband thinks I'm beautiful. I just, I refuse to believe him. And I know where it's coming from. I just don't know what to do about it. Great. Where's it coming from? She's 10 years old. She walks, it's Christmas time. She walks into her grandmother's house and her great aunt is right there in the door and leans down and goes, my, you have a big nose, just like me. Thanks for that. Little girl puckers up, tightens up, locks up, stress response, breath traps in the chest, walks into the bathroom, well, runs in the bathroom. What do you think the first thing she looked at was? Which it, what, Her nose which is now huge in her imagination, no bigger physically than it was 10 seconds ago. Now she's got a honker. And that means she's ugly. So what does the reticular activating system do? It goes on a search mission for all the other flaws and inflames them. And it's the, her nose is the first thing she looks at when she walks by a mirror, or the last thing she looks at when she walks by a mirror. So that's the search function. And now here comes the edit function. Baby, you look good tonight. You don't really mean that. So now she's got this filter up. Any compliment that comes in, just pimp hands it before it can land. And that would get, get in the way of some things in a marriage or any relationship. That, that, that is what's going on, mechanically speaking, with people that have a problem giving themselves due credit and taking compliments from people. There's part of them that is antithetical, that is that is literally dedicated to um, not letting that stuff in. Mm. And, 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 and then there's the other side of the coin. So I gave a presentation. This was uh, 2014. This guy was setting up a booth right next to me. He heard the whole thing. He came up afterwards and said, man, that was really cool. You want to hear a, a, a story about this stuff? Of course. And I didn't catch the guy's name. We'll just call him Dave. He said, my grandfather took me out in the backyard when I was 13. And he said, little Davey, life's wild. You're going to get things right. You're going to get things wrong. 
you're you're there's going to be wins there's going to be losses there's going to be zigs and zags and twists and turns and up and ups and downs i'm gonna drop an f-bomb i hope it's all right he goes just always remember to err on the side of being a badass motherfucker and he said my entire life changed in that one moment he said i looked up things are looking up i looked up and saw myself self-image as capable and confident. He said, I, I took a big breath. It felt like I got bigger. My energy expanded. He goes, man, I've made a ton of, mis- ton of mistakes, but you know what? I go after what I want. And some of the times it just works out perfectly. See, most people's language, they, they, unbeknownst to them, their, their language helps them talk themselves out of opportunity. It's quite the skill to use your language to talk yourself into opportunity. Or to build up yourself in your imagination. Same. Yeah. Can you differentiate between teaching or helping or coaching people with their language and then also believing it like in their heart of hearts or or in their mind? It's one thing to, I think, be able to develop the skill, to be able to articulate it. We talked about the game of ping pong. You knock the ball over to me. Okay, I now know how to knock it back with the right response, phrase the right way, processing it, taking it. But there's a different level, I think, of, of believing it too, getting beyond the, I think I have a honker, okay? And or, or and, but I really don't, you know. Or mm-hmm, I have one eye that's smaller than the other because I had a stroke in my twenties. It's the first thing I see in the mirror. The last thing I see in the mirror every day, no matter what my wife says to me. Every one of these things can be personalized. It still doesn't necessarily matter because of my was it RAS or reticular activating system. Correct. Okay, bingo. RAS. Ronnie Ann Scheinman, My mother's initials. I can remember that somehow now. Okay. Uh, you know, and believing it like the, the, the process of going from the transition or incorporation of language to belief and getting them to be simpatico with each other. Mm, very, uh, great questions, man. Great questions. So one of the ways to do that is to go into, identify and go into the stories uh, that still hold emotional charge, negative emotional charge, um, and 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 also those beliefs about our eye or about our nose or about whatever, and open them up. How do you know? How do you identify? How do you know the difference? How do you know what stories are worth your time? To process. And I'll talk about the A method, our method, which is A method. There's great ways to do things, more than one ways to skin a cat. And I'll talk about how we do things in the Enlifted coaching system. Any memory that you, when you think about it, you access it in your imagination or you talk about it and you get, you get that tight you get an emotional reaction. That's part of your story that owns you and is very likely to be on the side uh, of the fence of you not being good enough, okay, a telephobia, the fear of not being good enough. Uh, that's what most of this stuff boils down to. Um, 
us not being something enough. Um, you know, I don't deserve success because of this. You know, my father suffered. Well, I should suffer. Um, you know, I, uh, I was the bridge between my parents, um, and they got a divorce. So the divorce is my fault. So, you know, I'll never be in a good relationship, whatever it is. We go into those memories that still have some sting and put them through a very simple process. And you're liberating part of your mental and emotional real estate from the victim mentality. What's the victim mentality? So let me front load this. It's uh, tis the season for this conversation for a variety of reasons. So when we talk about language and story and identity and the victim, we are not negation acknowledge, victim blaming. Okay. We're talking about the victim mentality. So there's the individual and then there's the mentality. There's the person and then there's the story that they tell themselves about themselves. Those are two different things. This is hardware plus whatever it is, depending on your belief system. This is an ongoing conversation. So the definition of the victim mentality, I'm going to take a little bit out of the middle. This is the verbatim definition of the victim mentality. The victim mentality is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. The victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. That second sentence is very telling. The victim mentality depends as in it has to have a habitual thought process. Habitual accurately implies duration and addiction. We get addicted to our problems. Mm. So store here here's the process, folks. So let's say you know, this is this somewhat common. Your parents got a divorce. And most of the time, this is me having coached story work, people, people in their stories somewhere between full time and overtime the whole time for 14 years. Most of the time in a divorce story, the most poignant memory is when the children are told they're getting a divorce. And it's, it's, you know, they usually get sat down in the kitchen or sat down in the living room and the, the kids remember it like it was yesterday. It's a shocking moment. So let's just say that uh, some of your listeners have a divorce story in their childhood and, and that fits. So that's a specific memory. And every time they think about it, they get, <clears throat> they go into that stress response. So what you want to do, folks, this is what we did with the woman in the big honker nose. This is, this is just par for the course for foundational and lifted coaching, which is where we go into the most stuck parts of people's stories and unstuck them. As in, we go into the, the, the crescendo moment stories that are, they're not even stones. They're the cornerstones of their victim mentality and dismantle that thing. One word sentence story at a time. You want to title specific events Maybe it's a car accident. Maybe it's a bad breakup. Maybe it's a business failure. So you get the final news that they're foreclosing on the thing and you, you're you just staring at the, the piece of paper and you're just, Argh! 
And every time you think about it, you get that same response. Give that those specific memories a title and write them down. Write down the title on a piece of paper or Google Docs. Okay? And then write the story out. Which is very different than journaling 20 years later about your opinion of what happened way back then. Those are two very different things. And it is so rare, everybody, for someone to title a specific memory that haunts them. I mean, why would they do that if they if they don't have the know-how and know-to? Why would I go back into that? That's a, that's a very reasonable argument. It's so rare for people to title and write out a specific memory uh, that coaches, if you're a coach, you're listening to this, bet your clients haven't done it. And it's extremely low-hanging fruit. And 99% of the time, it's the very next move. Here's why. A story kept in the head is tough work. It's hard action. It's in my head. It's swirling around. Where does it start? Where does it stop? The worst part shows up. Shin kicks me in the face. Ah, and then it's out the, the door. And what do I do with that thing? I just I, I run from it or fight from it. Both of those options are tough. You do that. You do you get it out, externalize it. Now I've got it on paper. Now it's got a beginning and it's got an end. It's now it's gone from seemingly fi- infinite to now it's finite. And from the distance, from my eyeballs to the paper, I do have some distance now. And it's now in a more condensed, organized, much more condensed, organized form. And I can go, huh? And then so step. There's only four steps to this. And this is so not rocket science. I can teach this to a group of fifth graders in 10 minutes and they'll get it, as in they'll be able to demonstrate it. But once again, simple. Once you have written out the memory, we're doing the exact opposite of what most people do. Just keep this stuff inside. Get it out. Once you've titled the memory, written it out conversationally with punctuation, just like it's going in a book, then you read it all the way through. And let let the feels happen. Cool. Step three, read that same memory at 70% speed. What happens, mechanically speaking, when someone slows down their rate of speech? The breath starts to descend. Going out of these stress responses, going parasympathetic. As the breath descends, a lot of times the feels come up. That's good. You want that. I'll tell you why here in a second. That's step three. Step four, let's say there's two paragraphs to the story, four sentences in each paragraph. That's a total of eight sentences. That's a total of eight periods. You want to take your pen and at the punctuation, the period, draw a big line, big, fat, thick line. And so then when you read the sentence, you get to that line, stop, and here it is again, breathe. So my parents took my sister and I into the kitchen. I could tell by the look on their face that something was up. My mother was crying. My dad was cold as usual. They told us, Dad said, I'm leaving. 
we're getting a divorce. You're staying with your mother. I thought this was the end of the world. As the breath descends, so when the breath is trapped in the chest, the picture's just in my face. I'm in the story. This is personal. As the breath descends, we externalize the story. The breath descends. The picture moves out. Now I've got literal breathing room. And I change my interpretation of what that story meant about me and my life and the world automatically. Because I'm now the observer of it as opposed to the participant of it. Time does not apply to the emotional body. Again, we're, we're about the mechanics of storytelling. The why is so overcooked. It's, it's burnt. Why, why, do I, why am I always talking myself out of opportunity versus how am I talking myself out of opportunity? Why do I feel like I'm not good enough versus how do I feel like I'm not good enough? You understand that it's like fixing somebody's back squat. You go in, you break it down into, into, into its components and make adjustments. It's the same thing with our stories. And on a very important side note, when the topic of mindset comes up, it's a great thing to talk about. And the component about words, as in what words are going to keep you focused on the problem and keep you convincing yourself, the world's out there, get ya. What, what words are those? And then what words to why, you, why, why should I use less of these words if I want to feel better about my life? And why, what words to use more of if I want to stay focused on what's important to me, keep the drama down, and act and sound like a pro. Without the word conversation, mindset is this this big picture thing that I know I need to get better at, but how do I do it? And that person over there looks really confident. Whoops, would have been nice. No, we include the conversation about words. Our words are the building blocks of our sentences. Our sentences are the building blocks of our stories. Our stories are the building blocks of our, our identities. When we add that in, mindset becomes practical, as in now you can practice it. In your experience, do you see differences in this between men and women? Or even in particular, I'll just stay in my lane, okay? Middle-aged men and the challenges in communication. When you use divorce as an example, mm -hmm, um, I see it from two sides. One, the kid's side being in the chair for that conversation from their parents. But the other side is, you know, at 48, midlife male, middle-aged men, the other side I'm hearing about more, which is families separating, divorces occurring, lack of communication in marriages, lack of communication between family members. Now we have more time at home, let's say, than ever before. We have increased stresses. We have all different ways of communicating or not communicating. 
that are out there. I know that's a lot to 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 unpack. Um, but even at the heart of it, differences between how men and women approach it in your experience, who's coming to you for coaching help, who's being steered or directed to you, maybe by somebody else, their spouse, their significant other, because they're not able to extrapolate, breathe, create any space in, in those areas. Yeah. Good questions. Um, well, the, the victim mentality is an equal opportunity destroyer. And I worked the first nine years of my practice, uh, I worked with 90% women. And then once we, once we got into the fitness space, it gravitated to maybe 60, 60, 40, 60% men. And I'm, and, and especially the past, that's, that's an accurate number. The past two years, um, our business model changed into, into certifications and I'd say it's 60, 40, 60, 60% men, 40% women. And there, I say this consciously, I say con- probably consciously, there's probably a difference, um, in, in how, men and and women create their victim mentalities um i i for whatever reason i i, I haven't paid attention to it mm-hmm. um what i'm tracking are the specific words the breathing patterns the um gesticulations someone touches their face when they say a certain thing a number of times calibrating people, you know, it's what good is what part of you, you know, read the tea leaves, learn, pay attention to your clients, not rocket science. Um, what I say definitively is everybody, men, men and women like feeling centered and confident and present and, and enjoy being them when they're breathing well, it's really hard to enjoy being us when our breath is trapped in our chest. It's somewhere between hard and impossible to feel comfortable in your skin when you're breathing in your chest, when you're in that, that, that stressed state. And we're known, we're known as the language people, cool, fine. And the one-liner of what this work is about is to unlock the breath of humanity. Because we're we're walking around strangling ourselves with our words, and we could be very different than we are right now. What does a typical day for you look like? How much talking are you doing versus how much listening? You now mentioned the transition from uh, the the pro- your business model into certifications, but you also mentioned you know enlisted as a coaching system. And the various offerings that you do at the top of the show, we talked about going out onto the houseboats and I'm sure throwing down a little bit, you know, as well as <laughs> educating and maybe some of that language got slurred a little bit, but you know, it's all good. It's all good time. They, they had a keg of Pacificos, Greg. <laughs> there, One there of my you, favorite beers. There, there you go. Um, you know, what is a day, what does a day look like 
for you now? That's a good question. All of your questions have been bullseyes um, and fun to answer. Um, well, this is a, I'm a perfect person to come on your show because I'm middle-aged. I'm, I'm, I turned 45 this summer. Um, and just a little bit about my personal life. I am unmarried and I do not have kids. Um, I'm in bed by 10 and, uh, usually get up at five, get a glass of water in me, make a pot of coffee. I like, I like having my emails answered, taking the pulse of the logistics, um, balls out of my court by the sun comes up. Um, and then I, I, I usually go on a walk, walk or mobility exercises. So lately, uh, the best $10 I've ever spent on fitness, anything related, uh, is morning mobility with John Wolf from On It. It's 10 bucks for 10, 20 minute mobility workouts. I love On It, love John Wolf. Clubs, maces, alpha brain, mobility, all that stuff. I mean, that's what I did this morning, ironically enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I did this morning. I did I did 20 minutes. I did the full body 20 minute mobility thing with John Wolf and then went on a walk um with a with a kettlebell. Um uh, 8 kilogram kettlebell went on a one one mile walk. Wonderful way to start the day. And then the second best $10 I've ever spent and you know I can go back and forth on it cuz I love these cats equally is Shane Hines Moving Groove. He's got a he's got a a, a 10 he's got a it's called on it in 30 um uh yeah man i'm 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 easier in one sense with myself uh you know, i used to really love the if if i wasn't on the floor in a puddle of sweat having damn near died you know, 20 years ago it wasn't a real workout um now i'm more gentle with myself in that regard um and i uh I also, I, I like to, I like to have a bunch of stuff written on my piece of paper that I'm going to get done for the day and scratching that stuff off. I like looking at the piece of paper at the end of the day and say all that stuff is scratched off or a lot of it scratched off. Um, and then not, let's say, let's say 95% of my, my time, my professional time is, uh, is dedicated to the coaches. So the hats that I wear for Enlifted, um, I'm the head coach, so I deliver all the certifications. I'm head of sales, so I I, I do all the sales calls. Um, this is my 234th podcast that I've I've been on. Um, so public outreach in one sense. Uh, team meetings with the, with the, with the team. And, um, and this is, this is, I, uh, I'm a teacher at heart. I, you know, I, that's what I used to do. That's what I'm still doing. And now I get to teach something that is, that I find fascinating. This thing got me from the start. There are two things. Well, there are a few things that have gotten my attention and kept my attention from the very start. One of them was martial arts. 
and I, I practice very little now. Uh, and I do, I, I watch all the, all the fights. I do go in and kick the bag around in my old gym when I'm in Richmond. Um, it will always hold. I, 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 it, I shudder to think what my life would be like without what martial arts helped me do and undo. Uh, and then the language work, the story work. I, the first time I saw it, I was, it, I was, I was wide eyed. I was just enraptured. And there was something about it. Just it, it stole my attention, and I'm glad it stole my attention, and it's kept it the whole time. That after about, you know, this is just two dudes riffing. Uh, after about ten years in the game, Greg, I looked around and I said, I, I, I have no more questions. I have no more questions about what I'm going to do with my professional life. Um, so I got in. I went into my calendar, and and it took me a little while. I, I went down to. Uh, January 17th, 2057. So I, I, I started January 17th, 2007. I'm like, I'm going to do this shit for 50 fucking years. Cause I want to know, I want to know what 50 years in the game feels like. I want to, I want to have that, that breadth of vision. I'm so I'm 14 in and I, I can see most things. And this is nothing compared to 50 years in the game of something. Like, what's what? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Again, simple. I'm simple, and I'm also curious. So, are you talking to guys 50 years in? Like, do you have those kind of mentors? You mentioned early mentors, you know, back. And I just asked this. Uh, I was at the dog park just yesterday. You know, I take my dogs to the park every every morning. Mm-hmm. Part of my routine, get up, you know, same thing, hydrate before I caffeinate, get the dogs ready, you know, knock, knock that ball across the table. I also like you like to get everything else back out there across. I can't work out and start training until I clear my head and get all that stuff out there, take the dogs to the park. But I'm there the other day. Um, and the guy on the bench, you strike up these conversations at the dog park with, with people 50 years in OBGYN 50 years retiring. That's the conversation. 50 years in, what am I going to do now? His family, the second, third, fourth, fifth family, every patient's a family, a relationship, the staff, every 50 years. Really interesting. You know, and I'm 48. You mentioned you're 45. Okay. Hmm. At 50, puts things in perspective, 50 years into something. What are you doing when? You're missing things. Are you regretting things? Can you do the things now at 50 years in? Or do you not want to you know, anymore? You know, what's that? What's between 14 and 50? It's going to be fun to, to, fun to know, learn what's in between 14 and 50. Um, I, I, it's, it's been a a little bit of a surprise, um, you know, in the years that I'm in, 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 in this, I still enjoy talking about the basics, man. I've got gas in the tank for this. It just, it, I find that a little, little surprising and it's just, it's just matter of fact, I'll, I will talk, I will, I will talk basics and foundations, all day long about this stuff. I will, if, if someone lined up 
a hundred talks in a hundred days where you're going, you're starting from the very beginning with a crowd of people. Great. Line them up. Line them up. Um, do I have a mentor that's in the game 50 years? Not specifically right now. And I know of a few people that have been in the game for 50 years. Um, I will listen to anyone who's been in anything for 50 years and I will extract the wisdom. So just like you, if that, if I'm sitting next to somebody's like, I'm an OBGYN for 50 years, I'm, I'm going to slather that guy in questions and I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay attention to the stuff that he says under his breath or at the side of his mouth. Like I'm going to hang out with that person or at least pay, 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 listen. Mm-hmm. I- I'm with you. I don't think it's necessarily so much about what he does or what he did for a living, if you or for a vocation or career. Again, whichever word you choose, you tell me which one's the best one. <laughs> that's that's your lane, you know, right there. It's more about what grips me is the consistency, the discipline, the ability to get up every day and do something. For fifty years, in that, you know, when you just, well said, yeah. when you think about that, you know, that kind of longevity, that kind of sustainability, and everything that probably or, or definitely got in the way along there. Like I think the widget per, is is not really the important thing. Whether he's an OBGYN, whether he's a a language specialist, whether he's an insurance broker, entrepreneur, CrossFit box owner, whatever, you know. What fascinates me is people's abilities to get up every day and continue to put in the work at the same place, at the same level or higher over and over again. 100%. Can I challenge challenge you? Okay. Here. The word midlife or middle age, if you will. To an extent, as a negative connotation, right? If I asked you, what's the first thing you think of if somebody says midlife or middle age? What's the first word you think of next? Dull. Okay. I was going to go with crisis. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's what I hear most of all. Midlife, you must be going through a crisis. Or the reason you're doing this is because you're in the middle of a midlife crisis or men are because yes. they want to go negative. Where I want to challenge you here because I'm struggling with this too. I think I've retained some pretty bright people also to think about words and language. The notion here is to flip, flip that context that midlife is not a crisis but midlife, the middle is actually the sweet spot and that midlife should be the best part of your life for a variety of different reasons, whether it's optimizing middle age, navigating, maximizing, how to set the tone. And you've done this beautifully and this is what you do. And I've read through the blogs and I love what you guys did. I think it was Adam, your partner, Chin, taking the headlines and then like from the best, biggest newspapers in the world and flipping these fuckers around from like how negative and sensationalist that's what they are to what they really should be. Brilliant. Let's call it a, 
let's call it the a, a message from the divine. My answer to what do we do with the midlife crisis word uh, connotate? My answer was going to be to have Adam Chin on your podcast because <laughs> that guy is a beast with this work. He's the man. I'm I'm the front end. He's the back end. He's the guy in the chair. He's the man in the chair and. He'd be he'd be a phenomenal guest, and he's he's just he's a, he's also one of the funniest people I've ever met. So, well, let's absolutely do that um, because you know to me it's important. You know these conversations with men like yourself at our ages and stages. Again, married, single, with children, without children. Mm-hmm entrepreneurs, risk takers, or going to the same place every single day, doing the same thing for 20, 30, 40 years, Mm -hmm. all of these different things, you throw all of that stuff into the, into the pot. um, And I think we're all dealing with the same shit. (laughs) It's what I say definitively uh, is that Middle age or any age is going to be a lot more fun when your language is working for you. When you're building yourself up, again, checking the things that you need to check, being clear and, and, and objective with yourself, and also talking yourself into opportunities. Also known as making your life exciting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also known as being an adventurous person, which you can do in, in, you know, you can go out on adventures or you can just be, you can just be that. So when, when I said, when you said midlife crisis and I said dull, I was talking about this recently with, with some, some of the coaches, some of the the men in their early thirties and Adam, Adam is married. Adam has no, no kids. And, you know, we, we, we're fun. They say that. And, um, and I said, I'm in uncharted territory in one sense, because I remember what 45 year old men looked like and their lives looked like when I was 15. Mm. That, that shit did not look fun. It did not look exciting. It did not, it did not have a pulse a vibe. It was, it was just, it was just this resignation to this, this scenario. And I was like, man, that, that, that's not all that fun looking. Uh, and, you know, moving overseas at 26 years old and staying over there for a decade really threw a, a monkey wrench in the unconscious social conditioning of go to school, find a, find a, find a wife, have some kids. That, that that whole thing. Um, two of my the two things that are super important to me. Um, one of them is it's 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 the sense of freedom, and someone can be someone can be in a relationship and 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 have that sense of freedom. Also, I've heard people say, you know, you've never been alone till you've been alone in a marriage. Okay, so it, it's it can it can go in a lot of different ways. And 
I I follow the scent of summer vacation. Okay. I like that vibe in my life. I remember that clearly when I was getting out of school and summer vacation, it was just <sighs> and I keep it around. Mm. I love that. I was making notes on on that. And I just love the phrase of resignation to to the scenario. You know, and that and it puts it in context of what is 45, 48, what did it look like when you were a teenager? Yeah, and that visual of summer break that you just brought up, yeah. that easily identifiable. Um, Mark, you've done 234 of these now. Yeah. You said 234 podcasts. Kudos to you and thank you for, for coming on here and, and making, this, making this one of them. What are you surprised that nobody's ever asked you about? Or what do you have in that notebook in front of you maybe that you want to talk about? And you're like, I can't believe nobody ever asks me about this. You might have just stumped me. Um, I guess what I'm afraid of. Has anyone ever asked me what I'm afraid of on a podcast? Ask me what I'm afraid of. Mm. What are you afraid of? Sharks. I've got another, I got a couple of things. One of them, sharks. Are you a surfer? Is it a water experience? Uh, that, a no, I mean, no. not happening. <laughs> and I used to go out there. I'd go out swimming in the ocean, like no problem. Something happened when I was around 33, 34. I, I, if I was guessing, you know, those Jaws movies that I watched when I was a kid, they clicked into place. But um, yeah, man, I will. I I stay. It's the the, the chest high. St- this side of the break, I've got surfing looks so rad. It's the raddest. Great, go for it. Uh, I, I'm n- no, and I'm okay with that fear. And then the other thing that scares me is waking up and my interest is gone. My fascination is gone. And it's nowhere to be found. And that's one of the reasons that I work. I, 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 I do. It's ask anybody behind the scenes. I put a pace on things, man. And I keep it, sustain it. It's like I'm, a, I'm from another planet with this work. And part of that is because I love it so much that part of me, and I'm keeping this fear in place because it helps me squeeze all the enjoyment that I'll ever get out of it. I'm afraid I'll wake up one morning and I won't want to do it anymore. Mm. You know, I would also place a bet that if I had to ask some sizable selection of men, what they're most afraid of. Uh, and and your, I was interested in your, in your answer. I would venture to bet that a lot of the answers would be related to communication, that they're afraid of communication or confrontation or these types of, of dialogues, you know, the deeper dive 
dialogues or trying to fix that lonely marriage through whether it's communication therapy, dialogue, being able to speak. And it gets into obviously use of language and what and what we're talking about and what you do. I'd venture to guess that a lot of men would respond that they're one of their biggest fears is is something like this. You know? An authentic, deep, vulnerable, open conversation where you really got to think about what you're saying and listen and acknowledge. <laughs> I like oh, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I haven't been a guest on 234 of them. I've now done about 135 of them you know, here. Um, and one thing that does come out of them that I take away from, and you're now part of this too, is the willingness to share, the willingness to collaborate, the willingness to communicate and articulate messages. And you said not drill in, but just to keep asking questions, explore curiosity. Mm -hmm. What if, what if, what if? Uh, Really lends itself to success and to growth, to get whatever that widget is, whatever the vocation may may be. I find this unbelievably stimulating, um, and could do this could do this for hours. You know, back back and forth. How do people get in touch with you? How do they utilize your services personally through Enlighten? Um, even logging on to Instagram, seeing what you're doing live, um, to just kind of get a feel, yeah, for for what you're doing. Instagram's the spot. So my IG is Mark England 2057. <laughs> There's that. Uh, that. That Instagram account is, it's a free school. 80% of it is uh, posts about language. The other 20% is just entertainment. Uh, we do something called Tuesday Night Lives every Tuesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, for the entirety of 2021, and we'll likely keep going. And it's it's a free class where we work with people live. It's very interactive. Um, and here's here's we certify coaches too. That's that's our main gig. Um, and come to Instagram, check it out. If you like it, cool. If you don't like it, cool. Uh, here's my promise to everybody: if you make some seemingly small changes in your everyday ordinary language changes meaning improvements, a lot of cool things are going to happen that you're going to like because there's so much that's downstream from our everyday ordinary words. You're going to breathe better. You're going to feel better. You're going to sound better. It'll surprise you. There it is, guys. Midlife Mail Podcast, Mark England, ProCabulary in Lifted Coaching Systems, on IG Live, uh, Really, really enjoyed this. Mark, thank you Likewise. so much for, for your time. Um, you know where to find them, guys. If you like what you hear on the show, please give us that five-star rating. Leave us that nice review. Share it. Send a nice note or tell your friends using wonderful, perfect language about what you've heard on the Midlife Mail podcast. Get out there and share it. Keep the Midlife Mail movement growing. Mark, hang on for one second. Want to make sure we upload everything properly in here. Don't want to lose a minute of this. Um, And thank you so much. I really appreciate this. This was awesome. Learned a ton. 